Our reading today is from Galatians 4, chapter, sorry, chapter 4, verses 12 to 20, and I'm reading from the NIV version. I plead with you, brothers and sisters, become like me, for I became like you. You did me no wrong. As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. And even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. Where then is your blessing of me now? I can testify that if you, if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? Those people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us so that you may have zeal for them. It is fine to be zealous, provided the purpose is good, and to be so always, not just when I am with you. My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, how I wish I could be with you now and change my tone, because I am perplexed about you. So good morning. That's awesome. I know we have a lot of people away at a convention in in, uh, Kelowna, so it's just important that you make sure that you're awake here this morning so that we... Uh, into this together. If you have your Bibles with you as you've heard the reading, we're going to be in Galatians chapter 4, and you can turn to that passage now. Uh, We'll be there uh, most of the day, might look at some other scripture. Um, This is an amazing passage. We've been in this letter now since the beginning of January, actually second week of January. We've been going through this letter as a church, uh, and it has been incredible. Um, I think most of us are are looking at this and going, man, you know, like when you do your yearly readings, you go through this letter, you go, yeah, yeah, okay, mm-hmm, Galatia, mm-hmm, move on. And it, 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 we've been going so deep into it and discovering some things in this that have really been amazing to us. And so today, this is a very interesting passage. <laughs> today, we're going to meet um, Paul the pastor, the church planter, and this is really personal. He's going to share, I don't know if you could tell from the reading, but he's going to share... Uh, some stuff today that is very personal between himself and the churches back in Galatia that he planted and, and, and their relationship with, with him. Uh, in all my readings in, in preparing for this, uh, I noticed that uh, there were a lot of comments and commentaries about preachers who really avoid this passage. <laughs> Unless you're going through books of the Bible like we do here at the Rock Church and, and you can't therefore avoid it, they don't normally pick this passage. And one of the reasons for that is it's very personal. I mean, they have to actually start talking about the relationship between you and me and myself or whoever is here preaching, pastoring a church and yourselves. And uh, so I I thought I'd do something this morning. It's really, really odd. So if you're visiting here today, I'm not normally this odd, okay? Uh, But we're going to do this anyway because I thought it might just give you a little bit of an introduction to this that might might help and make some sense. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually come up where you are here today, and, and uh, I'm going to actually just step by one of my buddies here uh, and, and sit between these two dudes here, because I know that whatever I say, they won't be offended, uh, <clears throat> like some other people might be. But, but here's the deal. Like for about... How are you doing? Good morning. Good to see you. Um, he's got his Bible open. You got it on your app. That phone, that's awesome. You guys are really with it. But for 20 years of my life, 20 year, 25 years of my life, this, is, this was my view. This is where I sat. And I looked up at that guy, right, and, and listened like you do, right? And, uh, and you know, it, I think I went through many of the experiences that most of us have being here on this side of the equation. Now, I don't know if you've noticed this, but, you know, this guy here, like, he seems to repeat the same words 
over and over in the message, you know? There's actually people here sometimes who count the words, right? And then they got a little clicker, and then afterwards, seriously? Like, anyway, and, <clears throat> and I also, I don't know, how many times does he use marketing illustrations? Like, it, it's like, it's repeated, isn't it? I don't know. And, and by the way, did you, did, did you notice that he, was he looking at you or me when he made that illustration right now about those sinners? At him? I think he was looking at me. I don't know, it's pretty crazy. Thanks, guys. So, I make that point simply to say this, that a relationship between a pastor, church planter, which I am, I, you know, we came here to plant this church, and the, the congregation is an interesting one. But I'm not sure, having looking at this passage and having been there for 20, 25 years, I could have said longer, but I wasn't that faithful early on in my walk with Jesus on Sunday mornings. Um, being on this side, if you haven't experienced this side, it's different. There are some things you might not realize. And it's amazing to me how the Holy Spirit actually brings this passage to light so we can actually investigate it, because uh, it's important. It's important that we understand this. A few weeks ago, we have missional community groups, as most of you know, and we, people go after, you know, to their community groups throughout the week, and they, they keep notes, and you have note sheets up front that you could use. And when we go to these uh, uh, missional community groups, we eat together, but we also uh, break down the sermon from the week before, asking questions, right? And, and it's great. People ask all kinds of questions. And I, I've been hearing some feedback related to Galatians. It's been generally pretty good and amazing. And, uh, but there's occasionally some feedback that, you know, you know, like, well, you know, people don't necessarily agree with everything you say. That's interesting. I appreciate that. And in one particular instance, and, and I think it's all great because we have to have those conversations and they need to be honest. It's good. But I remember after one conversation saying, I just wish that everybody would understand that he is me. And I'm just one of us. I'm one of the body. Your pastor is one of the body. And and he is the one, he is the person who's commissioned, appointed to be the one who gets up here, stand behind the word of God on Sunday mornings, and preaches it for us to the body. And... I don't know about you, but when, when I used to sit over there 15, 20 years, you know, I always thought, you know, like, he's, he's, well, he's maybe one of us, but he's different. There's a little bit different perspective. And I don't say this for you this morning for my own sake. Honestly, I don't. I say it because it is part of what we're going to see in the passage today, but also for those pastors who are to come <laughs> and your life, whether at this church or any other church, that you recognize that they're just part of the body. They're part of us. It's not he, it's me. And so my outline for today's passage, as we look at it, is the title is, as you'll see in your bulletins, Together for the Gospel. Mm-hmm. We're together for the gospel, friends. I want to show you three things. Paul's going to ask three things. One, do you remember how we first began? And then number two is, how did we lose that loving feeling? <laughs> and then number three is, where do we go from here? Let me pray for us one more time before we dive in. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this opportunity. To gather here as the body, um, as a local church, but also with visitors who are here with us today from other places. Lord, we are one body in Christ Jesus, and so we thank you for that. Father, Holy Spirit, I just pray today that you would, you would take these words, these thoughts, and that you would impress them upon our hearts, and that we would understand that we are one. In Jesus Christ, we're one people, we're one body, and we're a family And we all have different gifts, and we bring different things to the the family. And it's important that we remember that we do this in love and in truth. 
And so we ask for your blessings today in Jesus' worthy name. Amen. Number one, let's remember when, where and when we first began. So Paul says this at the very beginning. He says, brothers and sisters, I entreat you, because become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. Now, if you go back to verse 8, which we were in last week, you will see the word formally. So, so Paul is actually talking back in time to his brothers and sisters in Galatia. And, and his, his plan is that he, he, he wants them to see something that out of what he planted in that place at that time was he, he had planted these gospel-breathing churches And for him, that is most important that they remember that. Paul is possibly, if we look at him, and as you know, we're part of a church planting network in Canada. That's awesome, and lots of churches are being planted. But he is probably the greatest church planter of all time. Uh, as far as planting churches in numbers, but also in the, the health and the breadth of them, even though he didn't stay there for all of the ministry and pointed other elders and pastors to lead those churches, he was writing letters back to them as best as he could with uh, as much time as he could because of the distances he would go back and visit them. His heart was just constantly about church planting. He gave himself to, to it, I think, that few since this day have in every way. He became the person not just on this side of the pulpit, but in the people and in his prayer life. He, 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 couldn't, he couldn't not think about them. When I think about it, I mean, I, I feel that way about you, about us. I go on summer vacation, I've said to you before, I can't stop thinking about us. And in some cases, worrying about us, right? But, but the reality is, we're just a small group of people. He, he had all these churches and all these places and all these leaders that were under him. And so at this point in the letter, he wants to remind the Galatians, do you remember how awesome it was when we first began? It's lovely to have kids, isn't it? (laughs) So uh, Paul's going to give us some great insight into his church planting strategy, uh, which is going to provide us some great lessons for us as missionaries here in Squamish, I think. So first look at his second phrase. Look at the second clause in this first verse, because it is really the subject of the sentence where he says, for I also have become as you are. In other words, I I became like you, is what he says. And now as church planters, we we always talk about in our meetings and when we're training young church planters, that that you have to contextualize and you have to incarnate, right? And and that's that's exactly what Paul did. We're, We're taking that from the way Paul lived, the way he planted churches. When Paul arrived in Galatia, he simply got to know people. I mean, the first thing he did, no matter whatever, wherever he went, was not to get on a soapbox and start saying, you're all going to burn. You know, like, his first thing was to say, hey, my name's Paul. Who are you? He, he would get to know people wherever he went. He would hang, hang out with them. He would eat with them. And I'm talking everyone. Uh, he learned about their culture, finding out what they loved and what they were doing with their lives. And so at this point, and, and he's going back to the beginning of when he arrived in Galatia, and he's basically saying this. Okay, Lord, this was not my plan. I did not plan to stop here in Galatia. As we're going to see, it's because he was ill. It was ill. He planned to go on past there, but because he was ill, he stopped. And he's thinking that, listen, since you've caused it that I'm going to be here and I'm sick and ill and I cannot travel to the destination I had in mind, I might as well make some friends. I might as well be about your business. So first they meet him and they find him to be a person who, look at this, I mean really, truly cares about them. 
this passage shows us that he really cared about them, about their lives, their struggles, their hopes, and their dreams. Now, come on, just even for a second, who does that remind you of? It's exactly how Jesus lived. It's exactly the way Jesus lived publicly in his three and a half years of ministry. That's exactly how he lived. He walked and talked with people. He ate with people of every class, of every race, of every nation. He didn't care. He got to know them personally. And so, really, this is the opposite approach that most legalists, right, take. And we've been looking at this, you know, pursuit of freedom, pursuit of liberty is the overall theme for Galatians. And we've been looking at it that there's these poles, right? The, there's these people with, you know, all grace, all grace, which is license, right? And then there's people who are all law, all law, which is, you know, legalism. And, of course, legalists would look at this whole thing differently, wouldn't they? They would come into Galatians and they go, oh, my goodness. Look at these people. They're worshiping idols. Can't eat that because, you know, we don't know where that was worshipped to. Listen, the reality is if we're going to plant a church here, these people are going to have to clean up their act before they join us. The legalist has a completely different approach to how they're going to reach lost people with the gospel. That's not Paul's approach. It's not his approach at all. The first thing he does is basically say, I'm going to become like you. I'm going to make it really obvious that I like you. I like hanging out with you, and I like doing most of the things that you do without ever, ever, ever compromising the gospel. I mean, it's his MO. It's Paul's MO through his whole life, and it's really well summed up in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. It's a long passage. Let me read it for you, but he says this, and look at the the number of times he says, I became, I became. Beginning in verse 19, he says, "For for though I am free from all, And so this is the theme of Galatians, freedom in Christ. And so Paul's even declaring that to the Corinthians. I'm free. I'm free from everything, really. I have made myself a servant to all. And so he's not coming in as some highbrow, you know, Pharisee, lording over people. Instead, it's it's a bottom-up, loving heart. That I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew. In order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law. That I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law. Not being outside the law but of God, but under the law of Christ. That I might win those outside the law. And I love this part where he says, to the weak, I became weak. That I might win the weak. That really describes everyone. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. Now, Paul knows, theologically, we know Paul is not talking about that he's actually the one who saves them, but his heart is he wants everyone to know who Jesus is and to be saved. That's his breath every day. We sung about that today. That's his breath. That's what gives him life. That's, what, that's, the, that's what's coursing through his veins. It's the only point of still being alive, in his opinion, is to tell people about Jesus Christ. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, not for my sake, that I may share with them in its blessing. So Paul's a model of someone who I think who truly comes close to and enters into the lives of people he wants to reach, just as Jesus did in his incarnation. It's exactly the same thing that Jesus did. 
To do this, he had to spend a lot of time with people. We don't know actually early on the, the time frame. It, it's, like, it's like years. Remember Mars Hill when he goes in there like, and, and he's preaching in, in, the, in the community center? It's like for three years he, he's preaching there. So we don't, it, this was years. This is not just a, like, oh, a few weeks, I'll spend a little holiday time there and you know, you know, tell people about Jesus and hand out a few tracts and say, see ya. Like, it actually doesn't work very well that way if you've ever tried that, just to point that out. He spends a lot of time living life on life with them. And besides sharing meals, he likely entered into every one of their struggles. He likely entered into their suffering. He likely ended in, entered into their broken marriages, broken relationships, their problems with their kids, their financial issues. I mean, when you, you become friends with people, when you actually live life on life with them and, and move into the neighborhood like Jesus did, uh, you end up finding out all the problems. People share that with you. And that's exactly what he did, discovering the struggles, but also probably giving some loving input whenever he could. He became like them, let's stress this, in every way possible without ever compromising the gospel. That's hard for some of us today. <laughs> you know, we leave here and we want to reach the culture, we want to reach people, and it's like, well, you know, I want to be like them, so let's, let's party. Because, you know, I'm doing it for the gospel. Need to be a little careful with that, right? But this is why, what we've just seen, why Paul can actually say what he says at the beginning, which is, become like me. That's why he can say this. The credibility that he now has with these people, having become like them, shown them that, look, I, I, you know, you, like you've heard my past, I'm a rabbi of the rabbis, I was a Pharisee, and then I, I met Jesus on the road to Damascus, and I'm this Christian guy now, and I, I'm seeking a holy and righteous life, and, and at the same time, you're hanging around with us? Really? <laughs> We're pagans, man. We, we worship anything, you know, and you worship this one man who died and rose from the dead? and you're still hanging out with us. Paul's not talking about them becoming, of course, like him in a human sense, is he? He's not. And although there are many attributes of his human life probably at that point in time that they're going, hey, he's a nice person. I would love to be a nice person like Paul. I really would, but it's much deeper than that. He wants them to be like him as he is becoming like Christ. That's his goal. That's always Paul's goal, and it's ours. So listen, let's, let's not make this mistake, because I think sometimes as Christians we get a little, you know, a little fearful about this. And it, th- th- This is not uh, some bait-and-switch thing, right? It's not like, well, you know, it's an agenda. You know, I'm going to go through all these motions, be really nice, hang out with you, and do all this and that, whatever, and then all of a sudden, ta-da, Jesus, repent! <laughs> that, that's, okay, that, that's not what Paul did. And it's, so it's not that. Some, some of us use that as an excuse. You know, I don't want to have an agenda. You know, I just want to be friends with people. You know, I just, you know, I don't, I don't really want to invite them to church. I don't really, you know, it's just, I just, you know, I just, I want my walk to do my talking. You know, that kind of logic is actually not going to get us anywhere either. Now, this is Paul, and hopefully you and I, saying, by our walk and our talk, by our unconditional love for those we are living among, We are who we are because of Jesus Christ, not because of anything we've done. If there's anything that you see in me, if there's anything that you you appreciate in me, if there's anything that you you sense that I want to be like this man, tell me your tricks, tell me what what do you do, how do you meditate, what God do you... Jesus is the only answer that Paul has 
And so it's the only one that we should have also. So the truth is, is obviously this. As you intentionally enter into their lives, loving them, especially through their struggles, and this is key, they need to see you and I handling our struggles and our sufferings, our disappointments in life in a totally different way than most people do. They need to see that you and I believe that the gospel is real every day, that we believe Jesus is real, that, that we believe what he suffered for our sake is way beyond anything that we might suffer. And in fact, because of his sufferings, because of the way he lived, that's how we are to live too. It's to be expected. It's not to be avoided. And so the truth is this. Apologetics are great. I used to love apologetics. I love arguing with people. It's like I can argue you into the kingdom. Didn't work very well. <laughs> it's awesome. I mean, you can talk evolution, creation, the, the taking the Bible literally, and go through all those things. They're great. But the truth is, people will follow you to church, follow you in your life as you're following Jesus Christ and practicing the same things that he practiced, which is to walk alongside them, walk along their struggles, their suffering, and let them see yours too, and yet let you, them see you handling it far differently. Paul goes on in verse 13 and 14 to expand on this, where he says this, because you know, you guys know this. It was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but you received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. These are remarkable verses. Come on, think about it. These are incredibly remarkable. Paul reminds them basically this. Let me put it in you know, simple language. He would basically say, do you remember how when I arrived in Galatia, I wasn't looking too good? Like I was sick. I was really ill. In fact, it was because I was very sick and looking terrible that I even stopped there. Commentators are, are unsure. Theologians are unsure of exactly what Paul had. Um, what disease he had. There's a lot of diseases going around in that day. Um, many suspect it was probably some form of malaria or something like that, but it was probably also, because as we see later about the eyes, it had some effect and impact on his sight. So let's pause and think about this, I think. It's important. What does this tell you and me? What does it tell us about God's plans for your life? What does it tell you about that, right? Well, quite clearly, Paul did not plan on this detour. This was not in his plans. Certainly being ill and being forced to stop in this place, a very pagan culture at that time, more so than any place he'd really been in at that time, a place that the gospel had never been spread into. So he didn't plan on this detour. But God, the Holy Spirit, obviously did. This letter is not written as like, oops, sorry, uh, this little detour here, so we're going to record it because it would be really helpful to you. No, it, it, it's here because this was God's plan, God's intention. And so this is important, so mark this. It, it was a physical ailment, a point of suffering in Paul's life that led him to being very productive as what? 
as a human being, as a family man, as a businessman, as you know, a lecturer, uh, you know, as a carpenter, whatever, maybe. But more importantly, as a missionary sent by Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit to plant churches. Four churches got planted because of this suffering, this ailment that Paul was given. And so this is remarkable. And so what you and I often, we miss something related to this, I think. We, we miss something. I think for starters, we think things like comfort, right? Uh, safety, health, and prosperity should be things that are important to God, right? I mean, God should be concerned about our comfort and about our safety and about our health and, and about, you know, like reasonable prosperity. Guys, North America, Swamish, we're rich. Some of the richest people in the world. Oh, I know, it's impossible to buy a home. I know, I know, but we're rich. We're very, very rich. That's not what God's about. It would appear that the whole of the New Testament, it would appear that throughout this, the whole teaching of the Old Testament, all of the Old Testament is about preaching the gospel, seeing men and women saved, lost men and women saved to Christ for eternity and the expansion of the kingdom of God. That seems to be the purpose all the time in the New Testament. So I need to take us back to one of my favorite passages of Scripture. This is a passage that we've been going to once in a while since the beginning of the planting of this church. And it's a passage where when you're sitting there and I'm sitting here, you're getting tired of me, me preaching this, this passage. It's good old Jeremiah 29, right? And, but it's important to what we're looking at today, so let me show you this, right? God says to the exiles in Babylon, remember the story? He says to the exiles in Babylon, basically he says this, I want you to die in Babylon. Now, I know you hate that, right? Some of you just hate that, right? He wants you to die in Squamish, is what it's saying. Build homes and have babies. And, and then he tells them why this is so important. Why it's so important. He says this in verse 29.7. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. So first he says, look, when you're there, Seek what's best for the community. How do you do that? Get to know the community, love the community, eat with the community, go to where the community loves to go. There's a lot of great places to go here. Um, on its behalf, pray to the Lord and pray while you're in this community. Pray for this community. And then the, the conclusion is amazing. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. This is God's plan for us in our lives. His plan is, is that we would want to be where he wants us to be doing what he wants us to be doing. Amen? That was tentative. That was tentative. Basically, God is saying this. Listen, I know exiles in Babylon. This is not where you want to be. This is not your plan. I know that. And I know it's not your plan to be there for the next 70 years because that's what that passage talks about. But this is my plan. You incarnate there, you multiply there, you bless this place and these people, and you know what? I will bless you. That's what he says. That's his promise. This is actually what happened to Paul and to the churches in Galatia. So let me press this a little further. Is it hard for people in Squamish, the people that you know here, is it hard? Is life hard sometimes? Come on. (laughs) Yes, it is. It's hard. Is it hard for them to make ends meet? Is it hard for me? Is it hard for you to make ends meet every day? Is it hard uh, to keep their marriages together? 
while they're both struggling to work and have babies and afford a place to live. Is it hard? Yeah, it is. It's very hard. Well, look at what Paul, or what God does with Paul. He allows an illness. He allows him to suffer and have to stay in a place he really wasn't planning on staying in. And then look what happens. It's why the churches got planted. It's why people came to faith in Jesus Christ and why people have eternity with their God is because Paul was obedient to the call. He didn't complain. Look what verse 14 says again. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God as Christ Jesus. I, I think this is an incredibly beautiful verse, really beautiful, and I know some of you have experienced this here in Squamish. It's surprising to some Christians. People who do not know Jesus, have not come and placed their faith in Jesus Christ, um, who are pagan in terms of this letter, in other words, they're outside of faith, outside of God, um, can be really loving and compassionate and caring people. Have you experienced that with any people in Squamish that are really nice and like that, and yet they don't know Jesus, they, they're not Christians, they don't go to church faithfully on Sunday and, you know, do all those Christian-y things? Yeah, I think we have. The men and women in Galatia were into every form of idol worship, drinking and partying to excess, blowing up their lives and their marriages in many cases, but this is amazing. They still showed Paul love and compassion that sometimes you and I in the church don't even see. Ouch. Ow, come on. Sometimes we don't even see that. It's beautiful what we see here. Paul in his love for them. So, so they were kind and loving toward him. And, and, that he, and the reason was that, that he honestly believes that they would have gouged out their eyes, he says in a few verses. I mean, the evidence is, is that they loved him so much that they would have literally, if it was an eye disease, if he needed his eyes more so he could preach more and read the word, you know, the Torah and so forth, and preach to them more, they would have taken out their eyes to give them to him because he, they loved him so much. That's a huge change in these people and in their hearts. And so what would have motivated them to behave this way? Well, maybe because they heard Paul's answer to some of their questions, and some of their questions might be like, how can you love and worship and follow this Jesus when he's allowing you to have this ailment? When he's allowing this, this thing to happen in your life? How can you do that? How can you trust him? Like, like... And so, obviously, Paul's answer every time would have been the gospel. Wouldn't it? Isn't that the only answer that he would have given? I think so. Regardless of the circumstances, Paul always modeled joy. And to top it off, they saw him, even while he was suffering greatly, he cared more about them and their struggles than his own. Paul tells us they treated him like an angel sent from God, like he was, look at this, Jesus incarnate. That's how they treated him and, and claimed him to be like either an angel sent by heaven or Jesus incarnate. Is that not our goal? That people in Squamish would say, you know, so-and-so, 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 whoever they might be at the Rock, at any other church in Squamish, it's, it's, like, it's like they were Jesus coming to me. <laughs> uh, that would be an amazing goal. So friends, do you want to see people in Squamish come to faith in Jesus? Do you want to see them come to faith in Jesus? To be saved from their sins and have the hope of eternity that you and that I have? I think you do. But hear this, please. If that is true, then please hear me. We, 
yes, we, both sides of this pulpit, we must stop being a poor example by the way we complain and moan and enter into all of the suffering and moaning and complaining that everybody else does. We need to be very careful about that. Now, please, there are times in our lives where we need to be loved and and cared for because we are in a struggle. We need that. But we need to be the ones in the middle of the struggle showing people that, look, I'm struggling. I've got issues. I've got problems. But I've got Jesus. I've got Christ. That's the only way that I can get through this. Only possible way I can get through this and through this difficulty. I mean, I think you all know this. God doesn't promise to bless you by removing suffering. He doesn't promise to bless you by taking suffering or having you avoid suffering for your life, but to bless you through suffering. Jesus suffered not so that we might not suffer, suffer, but that so that in our suffering we would become more like him. God uses your suffering, your pain, your struggles in your life to bring about good, and often that good is actually for the sake of others, but what it does in you, every one of you in this room, and me, if we allow him to do that work in us, is it builds character in us, it actually builds strength in us because it makes us more like Christ. It's the goal. There's a great ministry lesson here too, I think. We try all kinds of things here at The Rock, and most churches do, uh, to reach people and to help us grow as a church and individually. Not everything works. You know me, most of you guys know, here's the marketing illustration. That was my, right? Had to happen. That was my whole life, right? That's for 30 years in that field. And so we're creative. We try to come up with ideas to reach people, to get people to come gather with us and be part of the church. We do that. But not everything works out the way that we hoped. But we still make plans. Still making plans and trying things is a good idea. It really is. The key is this, however. We must be up to the Lord saying, change of plans, guys. Change of plans. In fact, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take away six of your best leaders, six of the people in your church that you love the most who've helped you plant this church and are awesome, and I'm taking them away. Jeremiah 29 doesn't apply to them. (laughs) Please hear that. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to send you some new people, some people that are going to have gifts and talents and abilities that are crazy, completely different than what you were thinking of doing, but they're going to be the people who are going to help build my church because that's my plan. That's my plan for your church. Alternatively, can you also think of it this way? Have you ever had times in your life when something terrible happened? Come on. You made a big mistake or a curveball came your way, and at first when these kind of things happen to you, you're like, Lord, I'm doing the best I can, um, but, and, and things have been good for, but why this? Why? And then at the end of the day, six months, a year, two years, three years, five, ten, it sometimes takes that long, you look back and you go, oh yeah, boy do I see why. As long as in the midst of that trial and that suffering, our view is God is good. God is good to everyone all the time. There's a purpose in this. There's a purpose. So this is Paul asking or starting with the question, do you all remember how great it was when we first began? And now he's going to ask the second question, how did we lose that loving feeling? I had to steal from that wonderful song, but here it is. Verses 15 and 16, what then has become of your blessedness? What happened? I don't understand. For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? 
You know, the odd thing is that it would have been understandable, I think, early on for the Galatians because of the way he looked, because apparently, again, commentators believe he, he didn't look too good. He looked really, really sick. It probably would have been understandable at that time if the Galatians said, yeah, okay, listen, there's a hospital around the corner, you go there, or what, like, walk by that guy that stands outside of Save on Foods, whatever. It would have been understandable in human terms if they had behaved that way. So why have things changed, Paul's asking. Well, you and I now know from this series that false teachers have come down from Jerusalem, um, and they're part of the reason. But Paul also highlights a few more things here, and this is where it gets a little uncomfortable for you and me. It does. It just gets uncomfortable. First, Paul asks, so what happened to your blessedness? I was glad that um, Maggie read from the NIV because their translation here is good. It's more succinct from our English perspective. And it says, where then is your blessing of me now? What happened? Now, he's writing back, yes, from another place, but he's talking about even when he was there, things were changing even before he left. Formerly. And this is where it gets very personal, and it's hard for pastors to even speak about, because Paul's asking, where did your love for me go? Sometimes you just don't feel it, okay? Sometimes you don't when you're on this side, especially after a hard message. Well, he answers it for them and us right here. He says, have I become an enemy of yours? Have, Have I now become your enemy because I was preaching truth to you? That's literally what he says. Well, the answer is, it's not recorded here, but the answer is yes. That's the answer to his question that we're seeing. So most preachers I know and and quite frankly personally love, they would tell you that being on this side of the pulpit is challenging. There is this constant struggle. I don't care who you are as a preacher, how really, really good you are. I've talked to some of the guys, you know, like mega podcasts, big churches, all the rest of it. Me, little podcast pastor, small church. Like, it doesn't matter where they are. There's this struggle constantly about having and caring about people liking you and preaching the truth. You try this, okay? Like, I mean, it's okay, but... That's the struggle. There's always that struggle. And that's why some time pastors, including this one, will sometimes say, hey, listen, just the mailman. <laughs> like, you know, don't shoot the messenger. Why do we say that? Because people do. People do. Frankly, it's even harder in small churches. People ask me, like, you know, you went to preach at Northview, like there's a thousand people there at four services. Were you nervous? And I'm like, no, actually because I can say whatever I want to say. Nobody there knows me, right? And it's on the other pastor now when I leave, right? But, but it's, honestly, it's, it's like, problem is here. I know all of you. You know me. I know your struggles. I know what's going on in your life. And so there's a given Sunday where I might get up here and I might say something. You're going, hey, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's what we were talking about this week. Why is he doing that? Right? No, actually, never happens with you guys, but it's just the mailman here, Okay. Let me give you a couple of illustrations um, of how that might look. Occasionally, this has happened. I preach a sermon, and I'm standing outside, and someone will come out, and there's big smiles on their face, and they stick their hand in my... And, and it might go something like this. Now, none of you have ever done this, but it might go something like this. Oh, such a good sermon, Pastor. I know some people in that room that needed to hear that. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. You know what's funny? Not so funny. The very next Sunday, that person's walking by you like this. Oh, yeah, yeah. Not quite, but it, it's, it's weird, okay? I'm just telling you. It's weird. 
doing this. But that can happen. Um, I have another illustration, but for time's sake, I'll keep it. In Paul's day, it was due to false teachers who had infiltrated the churches, um, planting seeds of doubt in the people's minds about Paul. Now, we don't know for certain how they did that, but from this letter, we can assume it had to do with much more than his very simple Jesus plus nothing is how you are saved. It went beyond that. They attacked his integrity. Certainly they did as an apostle and as a man. Um, They probably attacked his motives, his pedigree, his preaching style. Who knows, maybe even his height, right? They might have attacked he's too short to be an apostle. Apparently he was a small man. But this we do know. They were successful. They were successful to some degree. That Paul, to the point that Paul now feels the Galatians have actually turned their back on him. And more importantly than on him, the gospel. I don't, like I do care, but... If someone's mad at me or the Holy Spirit's trying to convict somebody and, and um, um, they're mad at me, I, my only concern is don't not listen to the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Please. That might be who's actually speaking here. It might be the person that you actually need to listen to. Here's one way that this happens today. And some of you know that your pastor, this guy, uh, um, is very concerned about this. And I'm concerned about it in, I hope, a healthy way. That's another challenge, by the way, having the the right, healthy attitude on this side. I understand. Sometimes we can maybe be judgmental and critical, but I hope not to be that way. Every one of you, when you leave this theater, you have at your fingertips and your phones. (laughs) You you have media today available to you so that you can listen to any number of podcasts. You You can read authors, blogs. I mean, you just name it. You have a plethora of things available to you. And here's what you're going to find. You, you, can, you can find a lot of stuff that's going to complement the truth that you hear preached in this pulpit every Sunday. But trust me, and you know this. If there's something about what I say or what the word, I'm saying the word says on a Sunday morning that just is bugging you and you don't agree with, you can find people who will tell you you're right. Lots of them. And that's a huge concern for many pastors today. And we can only just leave it with the, with the Lord and with the Holy Spirit to convict. The truth is, false teachers, wolves, are everywhere today more than ever. Many of them have huge ministries that make it certainly appear like they're the ones you should be listening to. So let's see what Paul now says about all this. Where do we need to go from here? And that's point number three. He says this, about them. They make much of you but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out, that you make, might make much of them. It is always good to be made much of, look, for a good purpose. And not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Paul does something here that many people don't like their pastors to do. They don't like it. I've had people say to me, I don't like it when you do that. Don't talk about, don't name, okay, don't name the false teacher you're talking about. Okay, I guess publicly that's a good idea, but, you know, privately, can I just tell you that that ministry is heresy? That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to shepherd and care for the flock. If we're wrong, then we, that can be pointed out, but that, that's what Paul does here. Look, what he says here is the first sign of a false teacher is this. Anytime you're reading a book, a blog, okay, 
and, and, and you're wondering about, the first thing that, they're going to make much about you. They're going to make their message, their article, uh, everything is going to be about you. Their focus about you, and, 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 and God loves you, and God wants the best for you, and God wants to do this for you, and it's you, you, you. Not much of the gospel. Certainly not a lot of suffering and struggle. You know it's not about you and me. We know that. We should know that. It's always about Jesus. So first they start making much about you or me. I like to call it the straw man strategy. Uh, they'll, they'll talk about often, you'll hear pe- preachers and authors start, you know, just to get you on board at the beginning of their book or their blog or their article or their sermon, they, it's a little bit like, well, you guys, you know, you've been to these, these churches and you heard these preachers, you know, the, and, and there are Christians who have hurt you, hmm. made you feel bad about yourself. They then ask you to remember the last time that that preacher made you feel guilty about some sin in your life, which, of course, is not something that makes you feel good about you. <laughs> it's all about you. That's the direction they will go. And so once kind of this kind of hook is set, they'll now move on to the second step, getting you to make much of them and, of course, their ministry. 1-800 number here. Send money. <laughs> okay. Today, the truth is what they want you to do is buy their next book, read their next blog, sign up, like, 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 like everything they post. And you know what that does for us who are junkies for likes on, post, on Facebook and Instagram and things like that is, well, like, if they're getting tons of likes and, and, and I like it and all these other people like it, well, then maybe, maybe they're right. And if they're right, then I'm right. That's actually what is happening. Paul's response is this. They want to shut you out. They want to shut you out for no good purpose. There's no end to it. Why do they want to read your book? And, and then, then, well, listen, you get to the end of the book and there's really no conclusion. Why? Because there's no gospel in the book. It's like, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, they, they really get my heart. They, I really, oh, they really understand me. Oh, they understand my pain and my struggles. And then you get to the end of the book and it's like, there's no solution because <laughs> there's no gospel. What's the solution? My next book. It's, it's, it just goes on. They want to shut you out for no good purpose. From what? From the freedom in Christ that he has purchased for you in the gospel. And so now Paul offers you and I the answer to where we go from here. Paul invites us, literally, simply, back to the gospel. <laughs> he says, this good purpose is that you grow in your faith and that Christ be formed in you. That he takes shape in you and shapes you into his likeness for his good purposes for your life. That's what Paul wants to bring them back to. And the purpose of that is so that we will become radiant reflections of Jesus Christ in this community today. Not us. It's not about me and you and people thinking we're so good and so great. It's reflecting Christ because he's all I've got. That's all you've got. We've got nothing else to offer to people. So listen, in conclusion, let me give you a couple of things. False teachers want to be built up by building you up. Not in the gospel, but in pride and in self-righteousness. That's the whole point of these, these Judaizers that were coming down. They, they want you to believe that, yeah, Jesus, Jesus is good, but you need to do good works to earn your salvation, prove yourself before God. 
That's self-righteousness, and it's pride-based. Paul, on the other hand, says he is in anguish over them until Christ is formed in you. And he uses this beautiful metaphor of childbirth, basically saying a mother only wants, and some of you know this, and some present are like, only want their child to get out, right? Be born, and then to grow up and become able to look after themselves independently and go, in Paul's case, and make disciples who make disciples. That's the whole point of childbirth through the gospel. And so that's what Paul and every faithful, loving pastor wants. At the end of the day, brothers and sisters who grow up in Christ and become faithful partners in the gospel. But that won't happen if they tell you what you want to hear instead of what you need to hear, which is the truth, which is the truth. Paul never withheld that from his dear Galatians. His final words hint at how concerned he is for them. He wishes he could be present with them, like literally physically present, so that he could speak more kindly to them because he's puzzled. He's puzzled. But like our Lord must feel about you and I from time to time, Paul doesn't give up. He just continually loves them, keeps preaching truth to them, keeps calling them back to the gospel, back to one another, so that the mission can be accomplished. Friends, I want to encourage you today that what we need to do, all of us as we leave here today, is we need to leave here today knowing the truth, united in Jesus Christ, and together for the gospel. Amen? Let's pray.